You're listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. everyone, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and this is an extra shot podcast for our series, Holy Grounds. It's a series where we ask real people about their experiences with spiritual practices. Today, I am super excited to welcome David Brock on the show. Now, I'll let him tell you who he is, but I also want to say who he is to me. Uh, David was an apostle when I worked in Australia. He was the apostle for Australia and some other areas. And he was instrumental in my first call to priesthood into the office of priest. Dave, do you remember that? I remember that. <laughs> that was um, a pretty important part in my life. So Dave is has a super special place in my heart. And David, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you, Carla. Good to be here. Yeah. So Dave, tell us who you are and, and what you do and all that stuff. Well, uh, I when I think about uh, who I am and what life has been like for me, I I feel like saying that quote that Lou Gehrig, which I'm sure many of you have heard of Lou Gehrig, said uh, at the end of his baseball career. He said, "Today I feel like I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth," and uh, there are some ways in which I often feel that because for. 40 years, I had the opportunity to work with Community of Christ, first as a what we now call World Service Corps volunteer, and then 38 years of full-time ministry with the church. And uh, this ranch kid from Kansas, which I'm proud of, and farm kid from Missouri, which I'm also proud of, uh, can look back and go, wow, the, the places I've been and the people I've met, and mostly because of the uh, the generosity and encouragement and mentoring of people in the church community through all the years of my life. So I uh, had the opportunity to work uh, for the church in uh, in Texas, uh, primarily in Hispanic ministries, worked almost 10 years in Africa, and our daughter Emily was born there, uh, and then uh, years in the Council of Twelve Apostles, uh, as Carla, you mentioned, uh, in Latin America, in um, the North Central field, which included parts of Canada, and then in the Pacific, where I met you, uh, seven years in Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii, uh, New Caledonia, Fiji, etc. And then uh, nine years as the presiding evangelist of the church and just retired at the end of June this year. So I'm now uh, on a new part of my adventure, but uh, I do feel like I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth a lot of times. Dang, Dave, you really get around. Uh, yeah, thanks to uh, good tithing dollars and good uh, good leaders and mentors, I've had that opportunity. Not to mention a really strong call, I would imagine. Yeah, strong sense of call. Yeah. 
And so in the past couple of years, um, I know that you've been focused in on uh, the spiritual formation team. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, yeah, the the spiritual formation team actually was started by uh, my best friend and my wife, Carolyn, who many in the church know. Uh, She just, uh, in her role as uh, coordinator of spiritual life ministries in the church, she felt the need to establish a a team or a committee uh, to work on spiritual formation in the church. Uh, And at the time she began to do that, there was just lots of discovery going on about uh, the the spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation in uh, our faith community as well as other faith communities. Uh, so when I became presiding evangelist, I uh, assumed some of that role as she continued to work in her role and uh, and on the team. And uh, as th- that team began to look at what we wanted to do, we, we carried forward some of the work of the former team and developed a spiritual formation and companioning program, which is in a pretty intensive uh high commitment three-year program and we have about 55 persons in that program we're just finishing the second year and um, it's it involves a lot of reading a lot of spiritual practices and disciplines gathering twice a year for a week at a time to go into depth with guest uh, presenters uh, to just grapple with what does it mean in my own personal life to live a life of spiritual practice and discipline but also what does it mean in the lives of our congregations and uh, mission centers and what can we do to help encourage and support and uh, provide maybe some teaching and training and guidance in that. How wonderful. And is this with people all over the United States? Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, you know, in some ways we, we've been uh, teaching and practicing uh, throughout the world church, but this particular program includes members from all over the U.S., and I think we have eight of the the 55 persons are from different places in Canada. So in that sense, we're international. Uh, how but, wonderful. I mean, it, it really sounds like, you know, training and, and learning how spiritual practices can be a really important part of your life can only help deepen the life of the church in many different places around the world. Do you think? Well, I, yeah, I, I believe so. And it's not like we have all the answers or that uh, uh, we aren't in a, uh, a major learning process ourselves. But, uh, but yeah, this is one avenue through which we, we get to practice and fall down and get up. And uh, it, it's, it's just one way to acknowledge that uh, all things begin with spirit. And we live in a spiritual universe and we're surrounded by uh, the mystery of God's creation. So uh, it's, it's, it's a way to, to hold before ourselves that we're all first spiritual beings and that's our true identity. Oh, wow. So speaking of being a spiritual being, um, I, I assume that you do spiritual practices on your own. And I was wondering if you would tell us about, you know, your favorite spiritual practice, how you best connect with the divine. Uh, yeah, well, uh, no model here. Uh, as uh, Katie, uh, in a recent podcast, Katie Harmon McLaughlin uh, quoted me, and I was quoting someone else to say, if the spiritual disciplines are worth doing, they're worth doing poorly. And uh, 
I fit that description. But it just uh, let me give you an example. Uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm trying to uh, do a daily practice these days, and some days I do and some days I don't. But to read uh, a poem out of a book called For Lovers of God Everywhere by Roger Houston, uh, in which he's really the editor pulling together poems of the Christian mystics. So uh, let me just tell you a little bit about my practice yesterday. The poem uh, is called First Love by an amazing poet, Denise Levertov, who's no longer with us. But she's, she's just writing about an encounter with a flower when she was a child. And I won't read the whole poem, but uh, I'll read part of it. And uh, it's just this moment of now and forever kind of connected in in one instant. So uh, she's talking about the flower. She says, it looked at me. I looked back. Delight filled me as if I, not the flower, were a flower and were brimful of rain. And there was endlessness, perhaps through a lifetime, what I've desired has always been to return to that endless giving and receiving, the wholeness of that attention, that once-in-a-lifetime secret communion. So uh, when I when I read uh, poetry, if I do it right, uh, I I usually read it through about three times and just sit with it for a while because a whole lot of what spiritual disciplines are, I believe, is slowing down, paying attention, listening, uh, just getting in touch with the present moment. And poetry, good poetry, will slow you down, take you to another place so that uh, you eventually can be truly present to the place you're in. And, and so after spending a little time just trying to to be there with Denise Levertov and that little flower uh, and the transformative moment that that was in her life, I could just feel something shift inside of me so that uh, when I got done reading for like the third time and spending a little time, you know, people say wasting time with God, uh, then I... I noticed my own surroundings, which uh, included uh, looking out the window at a pretty heavy snowstorm yesterday. And I don't know, all of a sudden it's like nothing else mattered uh, more than just watching that snow come down for about five minutes and really being present to that moment. So uh, it's it's like it all kind of just tied together. Uh, But, you know, people a lot of times ask, so what's What's your primary discipline? And uh, I don't know. I mean, like last year, I will I will say that I tried to be intentional about practicing the Jesus prayer, which is simply being as present as you can in the silence. But as your uh, your mind begins to maybe wander a little bit, you simply repeat. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've tried to do uh, in recent years is spend 20 minutes a day, and again, I fail often, but 
to spend 20 minutes a day just being as quiet as I can, getting as centered as I can. The Jesus prayer often helps me do that. And frankly, a lot of days it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, maybe practicing the piano. Uh, it ain't that much fun. <laughs> Not that much exciting happens. But somehow I feel, and the the experts will say, uh, do your 20 minutes. You know, Try to be as present as you can. Try to listen. Uh, and if you can't do 20 minutes, do five. Uh, and so uh, I... I'm I'm rambling here a little bit, but I, I think what I want to say is it really doesn't matter so much the, the specific practice. Yes, there are the classical practices. We pray, we do Lectio Divina, we read the scripture, we meditate in silence. Uh, some of those classic practices through the years, we kneel, we bow, we uh, fold our hands, we we stand with our hands up and praise. Uh, you know, there's there's many things you can do with body and voice and just sitting in the silence. But I think ultimately what spiritual disciplines are about or what I said in the beginning, whatever can help you be present to yourself, to the moment, to that which is far beyond us, to that which we call mystery because we can't explain it. Uh, whatever makes us vulnerable, whatever uh, helps us to uh, be in touch with who we really are, uh, that practice that, do that, give time for that every day, uh, and uh, you know whatever it is, walk, wash the dishes, watch a bird make a nest, whatever it is. Yeah, it kind of sounds like what you're describing is that there. When it comes to spiritual practices, there's not a lot of rules. It's just a time of being intentional, a time of slowing down. It, I mean, there you can do kind of whatever you want to as long as you allow God to be present. Is that kind of what you're trying to say, or is that yeah, what you're I, thinking? Yeah, I think I am. I, you know, I don't want to negate that there have been a lot of uh, guides who've gone before us, and so we we lose out if we don't get in touch with kind of the ways they they practiced in we can cast off those that uh don't seem to work but also learn from what they've done but but most of us will know if we're if we're being honest with ourselves if we're attentive to ourselves we'll know what what works uh what leads us to new learning what leads us to to vulnerable places what uh invites us to change uh it's you know, it's not always a comfortable, comforting experience. Sometimes it's one that uh, leads us to places we'd rather not go. Well, yeah, I, yeah, because um, once you start to figure out what's going on inside you and who you are inside you, there's always the fear that you might not like what you find, right? Yeah. yeah. So it can be scary. So um, I, I realize, I, I like what you're saying that, you know, like, um, a lot of ways to connect with the divine can be how you best do it. Um, but are there like some, if someone was, wants to try something new for the first time, a spiritual practice, are there like some guideposts along the way that we can look for? Or do you know of anything like that? Well, uh, I, I, I'll point you to maybe some resources, but I think, I think so much, and we've we've talked a lot about the, this in recent years, but we probably need to talk less and 
do more. I'm talking about me here, but uh, you know, we kind of the traditional approaches to spiritual practices has been to to sing, to say, to do, to to read, to 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 fill up with words or music. And I think where we've been led in recent decades is more to silence and listening. And so I, you know, I think a, a primary guideline uh, that I would hold up is to try to find a time to spend each day or, you know, three or four days a week, be gentle with yourself, but to just sit in silence and uh, be attentive to all of the noise that's in your brain, your monkey mind, etc., cetera, uh, and gradually, gently uh, let your uh, your mind, as as the experts say, uh, let the mind descend into the heart. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's that's really the the principle uh, and spirit and your own wisdom and God's wisdom in you will take you where you need to go. Um, so I, you know, I, uh, I think a, a text that, uh, is a, is a bit of a challenge to read, but it's, uh, a book by Cynthia Bourjol on, um, uh, centering prayer. Uh, centering prayer is a, is a great place, I think, to do some experimentation if one hasn't done that. And uh, even on our own church website, there's some guidelines about that. Just Google Centering Prayer. But the best book, in my uh, opinion, is one by Cynthia Bourjol about Centering Prayer. But I'm re- I've read another one, and we've recommended it to our spiritual formation folk called uh, Truly. Oh, I can look at it here. I can't find it right now, but it's by uh, Jane Bernard uh, called fully awake, fully alive. No, that's not quite right. But anyway, Jane Bernard's book, and, and basically what she's saying is, yeah, you know, all the, the classic disciplines are important, but there's so many other ways to, to be in the presence. And um, so I'm not sure that answers your question, Carla, but that's, uh, those are a couple books. And then, you know, I, I just always recommend to go to the spiritual formation page on the church website and the one that leads to Katie's uh, reflections and blogs for the spiritual formation center. Cause there's all kinds of resources there. Um, and, and what's that website at seaofchrist.org. And do you go to the search bar and type well, in? I, that's what I would do. I just type it, type in spiritual practices or spiritual formation and that'll take you to the, the pages and the sources that you need to go to. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Thank you for all of those, the resources. That's really important. I think it's really important for our listeners to find, have another place to go to look up some places where they might want to do a little bit more research. But I want to go back to you and see, tell me about um, how doing spiritual practices has changed your day. If you do it in the morning, is your day different than if you don't do it or how it's changed your life or if you're different now or, you know, just tell me a little bit more about um, how spiritual practices make you into something different if they yeah. do. Well, probably the, 
the best thing to do is to ask my wife or ask my colleagues and say, <laughs> has it made any difference? Uh, and some days they go, well, not that I can tell. <laughs> He's still an old scoundrel. Oh, but, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I think uh, it, it, does, it does make a difference. Um, in, in part, you know, if, if the purpose of humankind is to have joy, if the purpose of humankind is uh, to live an abundant life in, in the full sense of that, then if, if you place yourself in that, that practice room every day, uh, there will be occasions in which uh, I, I can promise there will be a depth of joy, a depth of insight, uh, a sense of vision of your own life and the life of the world that will be deeper, broader than without those times of practice and discipline. And, you know, there's, there's often a, a struggle, and I think it's a healthy struggle between the being and the doing and, uh, you know, each side tends to uh, caricature the other as not quite complete or doesn't have it together. But it's, it's a both and. And for me, uh, if, if I can do the daily kind of grounding, the daily waiting, the daily surrendering, the daily listening, then I think my, my doing is more focused. Uh, I think there's, uh, well, part of it is you do it for the simple reason of being in the presence of, of presence of mystery. Right. And that moment comes, it's like, uh, it puts all else into perspective uh, and nothing else matters uh, a whole lot more. But at the same time, uh, it, it it provides a, a new vision for how you see your neighbor, for how you see your community. And in times of hopelessness, in times of despair, there's something about that daily practice that provides uh, this umbrella or this foundation of hope to step into the chaos, to step into the violence, to step into uh, the pain and suffering of the world and, and see it from a different perspective, see the possibility, see the presence of God even in those moments. And I hope I don't say that too lightly. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of grappling w- with that, but but it matters. Uh, it does impact uh how my day is ordered it impacts the way i view myself when i look in the mirror it it views how it impacts how i view my spouse it uh it impacts uh the the social issues i choose to be engaged with it impacts the way i uh, read the new york times each morning or whatever um as as those things impact impact me and my disciplines as well i mean it sounds like you know, five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes could have just like a huge, um, a change of course of your day. I mean that, 
and 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 that way, I mean, if people are looking for a reason <laughs> to do a spiritual practice, even if that is their reason uh, to view people differently, then that sounds like it's totally worth it. I'm that is not the only reason to do spiritual practices by any means, but if people are looking for a reason, that sounds like a good enough reason to me. Yeah, uh, you know, and and we we hear these days about studies being done uh, of uh, kids meditating in in school, uh, and the you know the actual measurable measurable impact that has on uh, their own study habits, their own grades, their own uh, the the climate in a classroom that's maybe. Uh, in a place where there's conflict in the in the, the surrounding neighborhood, etc. So, so there's some very practical, uh, scientifically provable ways of, of why why these practices matter. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the classroom, which um, which yeah, which I find really fascinating and a really positive movement. But I was wondering about more about you again. So you talked about a personal practice. Is there like a group practice that you find particularly helpful or that you really enjoy doing? Yeah. I, I mean, a couple of thoughts come to mind. The, the, the group practice, the kind of the traditional ones are uh, just the, the ways we gather as community in a, in a congregation, a community of Christ congregation, or uh, with our interfaith community, we, we sing, we listen to sacred texts from ancient times, we pray, etc. But I think one of the most powerful uh, group experiences for me uh, has been the covenant community that I help facilitate as part of our spiritual formation program. So there are six, uh, well, there are seven of us in this group. And the ground rules are pretty simple, Carla. It's uh, but but let me give you the, the focus we took last time. It was simply to sit in a circle with a ca- ca- uh, candle, excuse me, and um, after a time of silence and maybe a prayer, to invite one person at a time to just share out of their life some something that really mattered to them right now. It might be a real struggle in their life, or it might be a recent insight that's bringing change to them, what, whatever they wanted to talk about for five or seven or 10 minutes. And the task and opportunity of those in the group was simply to listen, 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 be as present as, pi- as possible, be, be holding that person prayerfully and in love and not interrupting, not touching them, not wiping away their tears, uh, simply listening as deeply and attentively as we could. And then as that person finishes, uh, after another moment of silence or so, to simply invite the members of the group to either ask uh, a question of further clarification or make an observation. And by observation, it's not to give counsel. It's uh, not really to sympathize it's, it's truly to ask for, to just make an observation about what we noticed as the person was talking, about their demeanor, about the inflection in their voice, about a phrase or an image that came up. And I, I must tell you that uh, we, we would do that, you know, go maybe a couple other persons, or sometimes we'd only get through two persons uh, in an evening together, an hour and a half setting. And the, the the sense of 
listening deeply to another human being in the spirit of non-judgment, of love, simply holding them in that space and giving them that space to express what they wanted to express was, uh, I don't know, transformative. Uh, I, I can't, uh, I don't know, I just can't underscore how powerful that can be in the life of a person. And you, you think about so many people in the world, if they just had 10 minutes to share what's way down deep in their heart, knowing they won't be judged, knowing that it'll be held in confidence, knowing that it'll be held in the spirit of love. Uh, that's the kind of thing that maybe one person at a time, one small group at a time transforms the world. Uh, and so that's why I believe in these practices um, deeply. That sounds incredible. It it sounds like it fosters a deep sense of vulnerability as well as on the part of the speaker as well as on the group. And, um, you know, in the climate that we find ourselves in, at least here in the United States, you know, we, we no longer listen to understand. We listen to reply. And, and so that just means you always have to be on your toes when you're out in the world. And it sounds like this is a bit of a reprieve. You know, it's a place where you don't have to listen to reply or um, speak to prove a point. You only just speak what you feel called to speak or you need to speak or what nobody else has wanted to listen to. And I think that's just a really beautiful place to be. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And and what begins to happen, at least on occasion, is that because of that experience, you find yourself in congregations out in, sorry, in conversations out in the community or in family, uh, listening uh, a little more deeply before speaking or observing rather than judging or giving advice. And uh, that begins to have impact as well. But it, it, you do have to be intentional about it because it's not, it's not our normal way of doing things. It's not. Um, yeah. And maybe one of the, one reason that we're, you know, once we do this practice and we um, have been heard by people, we no longer need necessarily to be heard by people so much so that we can be doing more of the listening. You know, once, once we've been heard and we feel like we've been understood, then we can be a lot more kind, like you said, out in public. Like we can listen more to people and let's have our egos get out of the way, which for me is very difficult. My yeah. ego always gets in the way. Yeah. Well, it's, I'll just say one thing and kind of my closing, I know our time's about up here, but uh, a quote from Richard Rohr. And, uh, you know, if you want uh, another resource to go to about spiritual practices, uh, uh, read anything by Richard Rohr, uh, a Franciscan priest who's very ecumenically ordered. But um, he says, the older we get, the more we've been betrayed, hurt, and disappointed. Most of us learn to put up many barriers and resistances to love without even knowing it. This is why the healing work of spiritual practices is so necessary. So it does have, you know, a lot of it's just being more attentive to ourselves and these responses that we make without thinking and the disciplines help us to be just a little more attentive to our motives to our own ego needs. Uh, that's huge. That's huge. Like you were saying, Carla. Wow. Oh gosh. I'm, 
I'm feeling very inspired, Dave. Thank you so much for explaining that group practice. Oh, you're welcome. That that's an amazing one. Uh, and yeah. and oh, so simple. You know, I was the more I hear about spiritual practices, it seems like going back to simplicity is the way to go. You know, um, we focus on breathing, something we've been doing since we were born. We focus on you know prayer. We focus on our bodies. We focus on whatever. And you know, these are these are the simple things in life. They don't have to take all kinds of setup, and they don't need. Uh, really almost anything to do because <laughs> we yeah. already have everything we need on our, in us right now. Yeah, I, I'd agree. So go Barbara on. Brown, go Barbara ahead. Brown Taylor expresses that so well in, in one of her books. And yeah, if you haven't read Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, you're missing out. It's, she's amazing. But just saying, you know, I've got prayer rugs, I've got candles, I've got kneelers, I've got all these kind of paraphernalia that to help me, uh, practice but uh you know in time a lot of that gets set aside and uh it's back to the simplicity of the moment and it we it's all there for us like you were saying yeah just basically at our fingertips (laughs) yeah oh wow well dave i so appreciate talking to you about this is there anything else that you wanted to say that we didn't get to or any other thoughts that you have about Spiritual practices, either personal or group or anything like that? Um, I, I don't, I think the one thing I would say is, you know, it, uh, I'm, I'm an interfaith ecumenical kind of person. And I, I love discovering other faith traditions. Um, but I also, as a Christian, still have this deep sense that I, I look to Jesus. Uh, and, you know, as as a particular expression and model of the divine. Um, Jesus is the one who reminds me that everything contains God and is profoundly connected with God. Um, Jesus is the one in whom the seed of God took hold and grew up strong and beautiful and true. Um, so, so I, I still uphold in my own Christian tradition and faith and journey uh, that Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, in Christ, uh, as model and guide and, uh, and presence within me, uh, Christ, Christ in me. Uh, I don't understand that fully, but I... I think that's what uh, these spirit these practices continue to to drive me to, so that so that like him, I am called. We are called to to live this life of radical obedience and grace. So, hence the Jesus prayer. Why you prayed the Jesus prayer? What you were doing last year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have we all have so much more to understand, like. It's called practice for a reason. You got to practice, 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 and continue practicing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast, and I appreciate your words and for being an inspiration, at least to me, and maybe one or two of the listeners. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Thanks, Carla. My, yeah. my pleasure, my privilege. Uh, 
I love good conversations. Thank you. Well, thanks again, and, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Okay, thanks. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com 